0: Welcome to Volume Two of the Magical Monarch of Mo. The Fourth Surprise The Peculiar Pains of Fruitcake Island Prince Zingle, who was the eldest of all the princes of the Valley of Mo, at one time became very irritated because the king his father would not allow him to milk the cow with the golden horns. This cow was a great favourite with the king, because she gave as large a quantity of ice cream at milking as an ordinary cow does of milk, and in the warm days this was an agreeable luxury. The king liked to keep the cow with the golden horns for his own use and that of the queen, so Prince Zingle thought he was being abused, having a great fondness for ice cream himself. To be sure, there was a great fountain of ice-cream soda-water playing constantly in the courtyard, which was free to everyone, but the prince longed for what he could not have. Therefore, being filled with anger against his father, the king, he wandered away until he chanced to come near the castle of the purple dragon. When the wicked monster saw the prince, it decided that here was a splendid opportunity to make mischief. So it said politely, "'Good morning, King Zingle.' "'I am not the king. I am only a prince,' replied Zingle. "'What, not a king?' exclaimed the dragon, as if surprised. "'That's too bad!' "'I can never be a king while my father lives,' continued the prince. "'And it is impossible for him to die. So what can I do?' "'Since you ask my advice, I will tell you,' answered the naughty dragon. Down near the Rootbeer River, where the peanut trees grow, is a very deep hole in the ground. You must get the king to go and look into this hole. And while he is leaning over the edge, push him in. Of course he will not die, for that, as you say, is impossible. But no one will know where to find him. So your father being out of the way, you will be king in his place. That is surely good advice said the prince and i will go do it at once then the cow with the golden horns will be mine and i shall become the monarch of mo the prince turned to go back to the palace and as soon as he was out of sight the horrid dragon laughed to think what a fool it had made of the boy when zingle saw his father he called to him aside and said your majesty i have discovered something very funny at the bottom of the hole near the peanut trees Come and see what it is. So the king went with the prince, without suspecting his evil design, and while he leaned over the hole, the prince gave him a sudden push. The next moment, down fell the monarch of Mo, way to the bottom. Then Prince Zingle went back to the palace and began to milk the cow with the golden horns. Now when the king found himself at the bottom of the hole, he at first did not know what to do. So he sat down and thought about it. Presently a happy idea came into his head. He knew if only he was at the other end of the hole, he would be at the top instead of the bottom and could make his escape. So the king took hold of the hole and, exerting all of his strength, turned the hole upside down. Being now at the top, he stepped upon the ground and walked back to the palace, where he caught Prince Single milking the cow with the golden horns. Uh Oh-ho, he said. "'You wish to be king, do you? "'Well, we will see about that.' "'Then he took the naughty prince by the ear "'and led him into the palace "'where he locked him up in a room "'from which he could not escape. "'The king now sat himself down in an easy chair "'and began to think on how he could best punish the prince. "'But after an hour of deep thought "'he was unable to decide on anything "'that seemed a sufficient chastisement "'for so great an offence. "'At last,' "'he resolved to consult the wise donkey. "'The wise donkey lived in a pretty little house "'away at the end of the valley, "'for he did not like to mix with the gay life at court. "'He had not always been wise, "'but at one time was a very stupid donkey indeed, "'and he acquired his wisdom in this way. "'One Friday afternoon, just as school was letting out, "'the stupid donkey strayed into the schoolhouse, "'and the teachers and scholars were all so anxious to get home That they never noticed the donkey but locked him up in the schoolhouse and went away without knowing he was there no one came into the building from friday afternoon until monday morning so the donkey got very hungry and certainly would have starved had he not chanced to taste of a geography text that was sticking out from one of the desks the hungry donkey decided it was not so very bad so he ate it all up then he ate an arithmetic text an algebra text and two first readers. After that he lay down and went to sleep, but becoming hungry again he awoke and commenced on to the school library, which he completely devoured. This library comprised all of the solid and substantial wisdom in the valley of Mo. and when the janitor opened the schoolhouse door on Monday morning, all the books of learning in the whole land had been eaten by the stupid donkey.' You can readily understand that after he had digested all this knowledge he became very wise, and thereafter the king and the people often consulted the wise donkey where their own intelligence was at fault. So now the monarch went to the donkey's house and told him of the prince's wickedness, asking how he could best punish him. The wise donkey thought about the matter for a moment, and then replied, "'I don't know a worse punishment than a pain in the stomach.' Among the books I ate in the schoolhouse was a trigonometry text, and before I had digested it, I suffered very severe pains indeed. But you cannot feed the prince a trigonometry text, returned the king. You ate the last one yourself. True, answered the donkey, but there are other things that cause pain in the stomach. You know... There's a certain island in Rootbeer River that's made of fruitcake of a very rich variety. I advise you to put the prince on this island and allow him nothing to eat except the fruitcake. Presently, he will have violent pains in his stomach and will be punished as greatly as you could desire. The king was well pleased with this plan, and having thanked the donkey for his wise advice, "'hurried back to the palace. "'Prince Zingle was now brought to his room "'and rowed in a boat to the Fruitcake Island in Rootbeer River, "'where he was left without any way to escape. "'He knew how to swim, to be sure, "'but it was forbidden by law to swim in the Rootbeer, "'as many people came to this river to drink. "'You will stay here,' said the king sternly, "'until you are sorry for your wickedness, "'and you shall have nothing to eat but fruitcake.' The prince laughed because he thought the punishment was no punishment at all. When the king rowed away in the boat, and Zingle was left alone, he said to himself, "'Why, this is delightful! I shall have a jolly time here, "'and can eat all the cake I want, without anyone scolding me for being greedy.' He broke off a large piece of the island where the raisins and citron were thickest, and commenced to eat it. But after a time he became tired of eating nothing but fruit cake. "'and longed for something to go with it. "'But the island did not contain a single thing "'except the cake of which it was composed. "'Presently, Prince Zingle began to have a pain inside him. "'He paid no attention to it at first, "'thinking it would pass away, "'but instead it grew more severe. "'So severe that he began to cry out, "'but no one heard him. "'The pain steadily increased.' "'and the prince wept and rolled on the ground "'and began to feel exceedingly sorry that he had been so wicked. "'Finally he seized the telephone, which was connected to the palace, "'and called up the king. "'Hello,' said the king's voice in reply. "'Who is wanted?' "'I have a terrible pain,' said the prince with a groan. "'And I'm very sorry that I pushed your majesty down the hall. "'If you'll only take me off this dreadful island, "'I'll be the best prince in all the valley.' From this time forth so the king sent the boat and had the prince brought back to the palace where he forgave his naughty actions being a kind parent he next fed his suffering son a blossom from a medicine tree which quickly relieved his pain and led him to appreciate the pleasure of repentance the fifth surprise the monarch celebrates his birthday There were great festivities in the Valley of Mo when the king had a birthday. The jolly monarch was born so many years ago that everyone had forgotten the date. One of the wise men said that the king was born in February. Another declared that it was May. A third figured that the great event happened in October. So the king issued a royal decree that he should have three birthdays every year in order to be on the safe side. And whenever he happened to think of it, he put in an odd birthday or two for luck. The king's birthdays came to be regarded as very joyful events. For on these occasions, festivities of unusual magnificence were held, and everyone in the kingdom was invited to participate. On one occasion, the king, suddenly recollecting that he had not celebrated his birthday for several weeks, announced a royal festival on a most elaborate scale. The cream puff crop was an unusually large one that year and the bushes were hanging full of the delicious ripe puffs, which were highly prized by the people of Mo. So all the maidens got out their best dresses and brightest ribbons, and the young men carefully brushed their hair and polished their boots, and soon the streets leading to the palace were thronged with gay merrymakers. When the guests were all assembled, a grand feast was served in which the newly picked cream puffs were an important item. Then the king stood up at the head of the table and ordered his ruby casket to be brought, and when the people heard this, they at once became quiet and attentive, for the ruby casket was one of the most curious things in the valley. It was given to the king many years before by the sorceress Meeta, and whenever it was opened something was found in it that no living person had ever seen before. So the people, and even the king himself, always watched the opening of the ruby casket with much curiosity, for they never knew what would be disclosed. The king placed the casket on a small table before him, and then, after a solemn look at the expected faces, he said slowly, Giggle, gaggle, goo, which was the magic word that opened the box. At once the lid flew back, and the king peered within and exclaimed, Ha! This made the guests more excited than before, for they did not know what he was saying ha about, and they held their breaths when the king put his thumb and finger into the box, and drew out a little wooden man about as big as my finger. He wore a blue jacket and a red cap, and held a little brass horn in his hand. The king stood the wooden man upon the table, and then reached within the box, and brought out another wooden man, dressed just as the same as the other and also holding a horn in his hand this the king stood beside the first wooden man and then took out another and another until ten little wooden men were standing in a row on the table holding drums and cymbals and horns in their small stiff hands i declare said the king when he had stood them all up it's a little german band but what a shame it is they cannot play No sooner had the king uttered the word play than every little wooden man, put his horn to his mouth, or beat his drum, or clashed his cymbal, and immediately they began to play some delicious music that all the people were delighted, and even the king clapped his hands in applause. Just then from out of the casket leaped a tiny baby elephant, about as large as a mouse, and began capering about on its toes. It was dressed in short, fluffy skirts, like those worn by a ballet dancer, and it danced so funnily that all who saw it roared with laughter. When the elephant stopped to rest, two pretty green frogs sprang from the casket and began to play leapfrog before the astonished guests, who had never before seen such a thing as a frog. The little green strangers jumped over each other quick as a flash and finally one of them jumped down the other's throat. Then as the baby elephant opened his mouth to yawn, the remaining frog jumped down the elephant's throat. The audience was so much amused at this feat that the baby elephant thought he would see what he could do to please them. So he stood on his head and gave a great jump and disappeared down his own throat, leaving the musicians to play by themselves. Then all the young men caught the girls about their waists and began spinning them around in a pretty dance of their own, and the fun continued until they were tired out. The king thanked the tiny wooden musicians and put them back into the ruby casket. He did not offer to take up a collection for them, there being no money of any kind in the valley of Mo. The casket was then carried back to the royal treasury, where it was guarded with much care when not in use. Just then a young man approached the king, asking for permission for the people to skate on the Crystal Lake, and His Majesty graciously consented. As it was never cold in the kingdom of Mo, there was, of course, no ice for skating. But the Crystal Lake was composed of sugar syrup, and the sun had candied the surface of the lake so it had become solid enough to skate upon, and was, moreover, as smooth as glass. It was not often the king allowed skating there, for he feared someone might break through the crust. But as it was his birthday, he could refuse the people nothing. So presently, hundreds of boys and girls were skating swiftly on the Crystal Lake and having rare sport, for it was as good as ice, without being cold or damp. In the centre, there was one place where the crust was quite thin, and just as the merriment was at its height, crack with the ice, or candy rather, and down into the sugar syrup sank the princess Truella and the prince Jolikin and the king's royal chamberlain Nufset. Down and down they went until they reached the bottom of the lake, and there they stood, stuck fast in the syrup and unable to move a bit, until all the people gathered on the shore to look at them, the lake being as clear as the clearest water. Of course this calamity put an end to further skating, and the king rushed around asking everyone how he could get his daughter and his son and his royal chamberlain out of the mass, but no one could tell him. Finally, the king consulted the wise donkey, and after he had thought the matter over and consulted his learning, the donkey advised his majesty to fish for them. "'Fish!' exclaimed the king. "'How can we do that?' "'Take a line, put a sinker on it, to make it sink through the syrup.' Then bait the end of the line with the thing that each one of them likes best. That way you can catch hold of them and draw them out of the lake. Well, said the king, I'll try it, for of course you know what you are talking about. Have you ever eaten a geography book? demanded the wise donkey. No, said the king. Well, I have, declared the donkey haughtily. And what I don't know about lakes and such isn't in the geography books. So the king went back to the Crystal Lake and got a strong fishing line which he tied to the end of a long pole. Then he put a sinker on the end of the line and was ready for the bait. What does the princess Tuella like best? he asked the queen. I'm sure I do not know, replied the royal lady. But you might try her with a kiss so one of the nicest young men sent a kiss to the princess and the king tied it to the end of the line and put it in the lake the sinker carried it down through the sugar syrup until the kiss was just before the sweet red lips of the pretty princess she took the kiss at once as the queen had guessed and the king pulled up the line with the princess at the end of it until he finally landed her on the shore then all the people shouted for joy and the Queen took the Princess Truella home to change her clothes, for they were very sticky. What does the Prince Cholican like best? asked the King. A A laugh! laugh, replied a dozen at once, for everyone knew the Prince's failing. Then one of the girls laughed quite (laughs) hard, and the King tied it to the end of the line and dropped it into the lake. The Prince caught the laugh at once, and was quickly drawn from the syrup, and likewise sent home to change his clothes. Then the king looked around on the people and asked, What does the chamberlain Nuff Said like best? But they were all silent, for Nuff Said like so many things it was difficult to say which he liked best. So again the king was obliged to go to the wise donkey in order to find out how he should bait the line to catch his royal chamberlain. The wise donkey happened to be busy that day over his own affairs and was annoyed at being consulted so frequently without receiving anything in return for his wisdom. But he pretended to consider the matter, as was his wont, and said, "'I believe the royal chamberlain is fond of apples. Try to catch him with a red apple.' At this the king and his people hunted all over the kingdom, and at last found a tree with one solitary red apple growing on a little branch near the top. Unfortunately, someone had sawn off the trunk of the tree close up to the branches, and had carried it away and chopped it up for kindling wood. For this reason, there was no way to climb the tree to secure the apple. While the king and the people were considering how they might get into the tree, Prince Think a Bit came up to them and asked what they wanted. "We all want that apple," replied the king. "But someone has cut away the tree trunk so that we cannot climb up." Prince Think a Bit rubbed the top of his head a minute to get his brain into good working order. It was a habit he had acquired. Then he walked to the bank of the river, which was near, and whistled three times. Immediately a school of fish swam up to him, and one of the biggest cried out, Good afternoon, Prince think a bit! What can we do for you? I wish to borrow a flying fish for a few minutes, replied the prince. Scarcely had he spoken when a fish flew out of the river and perched upon his shoulder. Then he walked up to the tree and said to the fish, Get me that apple! The flying fish at once flew into the tree and bit off the stem of the apple, which fell down and hit the king on the nose, for unfortunately he was standing exactly underneath it. Then the prince thanked the flying fish and sent it back to the river, and the king, having first put a plaster over his nose, took the apple and started for the crystal lake, followed by all his people. When the apple was fastened to the fishing line and let down through the syrup to the royal chamberlain, "'Nuff said, refused to touch it. "'He doesn't like it,' said the king with a sigh, "'and he went back again to the wise donkey. "'Didn't he want the apple?' asked the donkey as if surprised. "'But you must know he was not surprised at all, "'as he had planned to get the apple for himself.' "'No, indeed,' replied the king. "'We had an awful job finding that apple, too.' "'Where is it?' inquired the donkey. "'Here,' said the king, taking it out of his pocket.' The donkey took the apple, looked at it thoughtfully for a moment, and then ate it up and smacked his lips, for he was especially fond of red apples. "'What do we do now?' asked the king. "'I believe the thing Nuff said likes best is a kind word. Bait the line with that, and you may catch him.'" So the king went again to the lake, and having put a kind word on the fish line, quickly succeeded in bringing the royal chamberlain to shore in safety. You could well imagine poor Nuff Said was glad enough to be on dry land again after his long immersion in the sugar syrup. And now that all had been rescued from the Crystal Lake, the king put a rope around the broken crust and stuck up a sign that said, Danger, so that no one else would fall in. After that, the festivities began again, and as there were no further accidents, the king's birthday ended very happily after all. The Sixth Surprise King Skouliyou and His Cast Iron Man Across the mountains at the north of the Valley of Mo there reigned a wicked king named Skouliyou whose people lived in caves and mines and dug iron and tin out of the rocks and melted them into bars. These bars they then carried away and sold for money. King Skouliyou "'hated the monarch of Mo and all his people, "'because they lived so happily and cared nothing for money, "'and he would have sent his army into the valley "'to destroy the merry people who dwelt there "'had he not been afraid of the sharp swords "'that grew on their trees, "'which they knew so well how to use against their foes. "'So King scowley pondered for a long time "'how to destroy the valley of Mo without getting hurt himself.' And at last he hit upon a plan he believed would succeed he put all his mechanics to work and built a great man out of cast iron with machinery inside of him when he was wound up the cast iron man could roar and roll his eyes and gnash his teeth and march across the valley crushing trees and houses to the earth as he went for the cast iron man was as tall as a church and as heavy as iron could make him and each of his feet "'was as big as a barn. "'It took a long time to build this man, as you may suppose, "'but King scowley was so determined to ruin the pretty valley of Mo "'that he made his men work night and day, "'and at last the cast-iron man was ready to be wound up "'and sent on his journey of destruction. "'They stood him up on the top of the mountain, "'with his face toward the beautiful valley, and began to wind him up. "'It took a hundred men a whole week to do this, But at last he was tightly wound, and the wicked King Scowlyow stood ready to touch the spring that made him go. One, two, three, said the king, and touched the spring with his finger. The cast-iron man gave so terror that he even frightened the men who had made him, and then he rolled his eyes till they flashed fire and gnashed his teeth till the noise sounded like thunder. The next minute he raised one great foot and stepped forward, crushing fifty trees that stood in his path, and then away he went, striding down the mountain, destroying everything that stood in his way, and nearing with every step the beautiful Valley of Mo. The king and his people were having a game of ball that day, and the dog was acting as umpire. Suddenly, just as Prince Jollikin had made a home run, and everyone was applauding him, a terrible roaring noise sounded in their ears, and they heard a great crashing of trees on the mountainside and saw a monstrous man approaching the valley. The people were so frightened they stood perfectly still, being unable to move through surprise and terror. But the dog ran with all his might toward the mountain to see what was the matter. Just as the dog reached the foot of the mountain, a cast iron man came tramping along and stepped into the valley where he ruined in one instant a large bed of ladyfingers and a whole patch of ripe pumpkin pies. Indeed, the entire valley would soon have been destroyed had not the cast-iron man stubbed his toe against the dog and fallen flat on his face, where he lay roaring and gnashing his teeth, but unable to do any further harm. Presently the king and his people recovered from their fright and gathered around their prostrate foe marveling at his great size and strength had you not tripped him up said the king to the dog this giant would certainly have destroyed my kingdom who do you suppose was so wicked as to send this monster to crush us must have been king scallyow declared the dog for no one else would care to harm you and the giant came from the direction of the wicked king's country yes replied the monarch thoughtfully. It must indeed have been Skowleyow, and it was a very unkind act, for we have never harmed him in any way. But what shall we do with this great man? If he is left here, he will scare all the children with his roarings, and none of the ladies will care to walk near this end of the valley. He is so heavy that not all of us together could lift him, and even if we succeeded, we have no place to put him where he would be out of the way. This was indeed true, so all the people sat down in a circle around the cast-iron man and thought upon the matter intently for the space of an hour. Then the monarch asked solemnly as became the importance of the occasion, Has anyone thought of a way to get rid of him? The people shook their heads gravely and thought deeply for another hour. At the end of that time, the dog suddenly laughed and called out in a voice so loud that it startled them, <laughs> i thought of a way. Good, exclaimed the king. Let us hear your plan. You see, explained the dog, the cast iron man is now lying on his face. If we could only roll him over onto his back and then raise him up on his feet again, he could be turned around and would march straight back to where he came from and do us no further harm. That is a capital idea, replied the king. "'But how can we roll him over, or make him stand up?' That puzzled them all for a while. But, by and by, Prince Thinkabit, who was a very clever young man, announced his readiness to undertake the job. First, bring me a feather!' commanded the prince. The royal chamberlain hunted around and soon found for him a long, fluffy feather. Taking this in his hand, the prince approached the cast-iron man and tickled him under the left arm with the end of the feather." Ouch! said the cast iron man, giving a jump and rolling completely over so that he lay on his back. Hurrah! cried the people, clapping their hands with joy at this successful stratagem. The, the prince is a very, very wise prince, prince indeed. indeed! Prince Think a Bit took off his hat and bowed politely to them in return for the compliment, and then he said, Bring me a pin! So Nuff Said brought him a pin with a very sharp point, and the prince took it and walked up to the cast-iron man and gave him a sharp prod in the back with the point of the pin. Again yelled the cast-iron man, giving at the same time such a great jump that he leapt square on his feet. But now, to their joy, they saw he was facing the mountains instead of the valley. As soon as the cast-iron man stood up, The machinery began to work again, and he marched with great steps up the mountainside and over into the kingdom of the wicked Scowlyyow, where he crushed the king and all his people and laid waste to the land wherever he went. And that was their punishment for being envious of the good people of Mo. As to the fate of the cast iron man, he was wound up so tightly that he kept walking straight on until he reached the sea, where he stepped into the water went down to the bottom and stuck fast in the mud. And I have no doubt he is still there to this day.